Good day, good day, good day, good day. Grand Rising Beloveds, this is Christina, a.k.a. iPad, a.k.a. Jonesy, welcoming you to episode three of Get in the Pot, in the Cypher, a podcast that is meets the rubber where the road is with culture, community, and connection all in one place. So welcome to episode three. Today's episode features two people that I think are pretty fucking amazing. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm joined today by Dr. Jeff Benjamin and Dr. Brian Turner, both two esteemed professors at two esteemed HBCUs here in the beautiful city of New Orleans. Dr. Benjamin comes to us from Dillard University and Dr. Turner comes to us from Xavier University. So Dr. Benjamin, Dr. Turner, why don't you introduce yourselves to the people? Tell us who you are. Uh, I am uh, Jeff Benjamin. I am originally from Pensacola, Florida. Florida. Moved to New Orleans six years ago. So Brian tells me I am now a New Orleans resident because I married somebody from New Orleans. I work in New Orleans. I done bought a house in New Orleans and I can cook crawfish. So he tells me that I'm official now. So I don't know if that gives me street credibility, but everybody listening from New Orleans. I'm not from here. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can fairly say you're from here, but you definitely live here. Yeah, I just got to right? make, make up a high school that I went right. to. Um, I, have, uh, I mean, the way the schools change around, it's possible. Right, right, right. right. I got some names of ones that's not around. I'll tell you which ones. Well, you well just... look, I went I went to Booker T. Washington. In no, 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 no. Don't that's do not that. Here. <laughs> Too many people went to Booker oh, okay. T. That they don't figure you. out. I got I some you. ones with some names. <laughs> I could we tell you. I, we'll talk about it. Oh, like, like you could say, bitch, like Manus. Like that would be I gotta, one. I got to figure out how I get my New Orleans passport. You know, if you want to do Redeemer Seton, <laughs> you could say that. You yeah. could say Redeemer Seton. That's not here anymore. And that was a private Catholic school. So I, I got okay, you a couple. I got you. I got you. <laughs> um, but yeah. for so the, friends are for. Yeah, for the most part, man. I've been in education for most of my life, and my journey has been to you know getting young black men to the finish line of graduation in college because I had so many people help me and I want to be that person to help them. So that's that's really like my line of work right now. And I primarily work with first year students trying to give them the tools of life. Like I got a class that's like really dope because I can do what I want and teach them about life. Mm. And I don't think that we really have like classes like that. Nobody goes to like Life University, or if you do go to Life right. University, consequences are a lot more severe right. than, than than not coming to my class. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So, so that's that's a little bit about me in a, a few seconds. Brian, appreciate you. Tell them about right. yourself. So, man, look, I'm back like never I left. Wow. Right? So, I'm from New Orleans, born and raised. Graduated from Israel Newman. Graduated from Southern University of Baton Rouge. Graduated from Jackson State University with my PhD in clinical psych. Moved through the space. Got back home in 2013 at Xavier University, where a couple years now post that ranking tenure hurdle. So that's a very big thing. I'm also a licensed clinical psychologist in practice here at Moments of Truth LLC. My story really comes in a nutshell. You know, I used to catch the bus from New Orleans East, the real East Show, for current and Vincent at the back of the city, uptown to Newman. And I would see people in my neighborhood not making it, struggling. And I would get to Newman. And I would see people who grew up in a whole another neighborhood not making it and struggling. And so my big thing was I wanted to help folks. I had fam who were attorneys and, you know, doctors and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, that's not working for me. That's not what I want to be. And so I began the journey of looking at mental health and psychology as both a profession, but also as a science and and a philosophy of life. And so and really in sixth grade, I knew what I wanted to be. And then when I got to Southern, kind of ironically, I was always a nerd, but an athlete. So when I was being recruited, I told the schools I wanted them to bring me the head of their psych departments. And the only school that did that was Southern University in Baton Rouge. And Dr. Duncan came in. I told him, I said, I need to know how I can become a psychologist. How can you make that happen? And so 
we ran through the gamut of what would happen. And so that's why I picked Southern as well as we won three national championships. But the reality was that I wanted to help people who deal with stuff every day. And so currently I'm a um, social professor at Xavier, director of the African-American diaspora studies program. As I said, a psychologist as well. My objective is to get students who look like me into the field of psychology at various capacities to address the mental health needs of specifically the black community, but also the larger community that we live in. And then also by practicing, I, I look to affect people individually, couples and families. That's very dope. Thank you all for joining us today. I heard a lot of things in your introduction that I want to get to, but I also want to start off with something that's important to me. So I was asked this question. So, you know, tell me something you're listening to. Tell me something you're reading. Tell me something you're thinking about. Right now, I'm kind of done with like new music. So I still just stick with the classics in terms of old R&B and hip hop and and rap. My filter allows in, you know, Drake and some of the newer artists, J. Cole, Lamar, Chance, you know, I struggle with some of the issues across the whole industry in terms of reading. It's summertime. I ain't reading shit. Mm-hmm. So I'm on a mental break. I'm doing some projects, but I ain't trying to read nothing right now. But if I was to offer reading, I tell everybody right now, especially in the sign of the times, go back and read Miseducation of the Negro. But also Carter G. Woodson did the Education of the Negro. So I mm-hmm. say read those two in tandem. And then also one of the things I've been offering for a number of people is Dr. Naim Akbar's um, Visions for a Black Man. Um, in terms of a lot of stuff that's going on. And, and I think we're going to touch on some of that in terms of black men in today's society and where we sit. What I think about most, honestly, is that we're at a point where, and actually not got to do a couple of things for Juneteenth, but the topic I'm going to be bringing will be the automaticity and negativity in the black community yeah. and how, for some reason, we have adopted a mindset of just being negative. And I think that's really what, what we're experiencing. And so that's what I've been thinking about a lot and, and wanting to address in, in some other spaces. So, so Dr. Turner, yeah. for those of us without the SAT vocabulary word that you just, and I'm usually the one who uses the word to stump somebody. I had, I'm like, audible, what? <laughs> Tell the people what that word means, so, please. So when we talk as a psychological term, automaticity is a process or something that happens without a lot of thinking. Doesn't require any real cognition. It just happens. So it's kind of like breathing. It's automatic. It happens. Okay. And so if you look at some of the things that we're going to probably cover today, and, and how it plagues us or has begun to plague us, it's, it's the fact that we now automatically assume the worst. Okay. So me and Jeff are bigger guys, right? So we walk into a spot, automatically people think we got to test shit up. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we're two large black men. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we do be there to test shit up, but most of the time it's M- not. Most time we really, really, we be chilling until it needs to be torn up. But even then we be like, hey man, let's go ahead and leave because we want to take these people shit up. <laughs> and I don't really feel like about it, right? But it's the negative piece, right? Because right. we don't really have that same automaticity of positivity anymore where we try to believe in the good of the individual and what's happening. And so... So what we play into is that some way, somehow, everything becomes negative, right? Everything turns into a, I mean, even like now with the crime, right? You think about it, how many times are we automatically drawn to think the worst? I'm, I mean, look, I'm tired of seeing people on Facebook and social media, everybody with a gun in their hand, oh, this New Orleans East. But, and I, and I don't want to disparage the city, but nobody says that about Mid-City. Nobody wants to say that about the lower nine. Nobody wants to say that about the person. I'm like, okay, so so if the automatic thought is that New Orleans East is just awful, then then that negates all of the people who live in nice neighborhoods in the East and are not prone to negativity. Like myself. Yeah, and all of our friends who live in the East. Yeah. Right? And so so like that's automaticity means that somehow it's been ascribed to us or it's just become a reality for too many black people that 
It's just negative. We're just negative. I'm going to mess with you, though, because Brian, this is what he used to do back in the day. Brian used to wouldn't tell nobody that he was a doctor, but he would just use, like, SAT words and regular sentences. <laughs> like, like, why the fuck did this sentence need the word manifest destiny in it? Oh you know God. what I'm saying? Like, bro. It must be Kendra Spears because I say stuff sometimes. People <laughs> like, couldn't you have just said could, nothing, could the word nothing? Like, why did you have to say? Now, look, I understand <laughs> because, you know, like, my vocabulary is a mixture of SAT words and curse words, and that was the only words that I could pull out. <laughs> but I be messing with Brian. I'm like, yo, I ain't never heard the word manifest destiny. So when you said Brian explained SAT, I was laughing because that's what I used to get. <laughs> uh-huh. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that's the way I think. So right. I speak like I think as uh-huh. opposed to thinking like I speak. I got you. So you know what I, I got mean? You. So I so you. yeah, I but you. just wait, he'll use manifest destiny while we're here. I don't what? use that anymore because I don't want to comport myself. Or duplicit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I swear. <laughs> Indubitably. So <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's an inside joke. We're going to drink and smoke on that later. But right. he, he loves that word. Oh <laughs> so we're doing a little station break. Here go the commercial. You can catch Jeff and I every other Thursday, Brothers with Degrees. Facebook you can Live. find us on Facebook Live. Also, other social media platforms. If you follow Jeff, that's Jeff Benjamin or Brian Turner on Facebook, social media, Once Twitter. Again, brothers Instagram, with Degrees. Brothers with Degrees. Oh, oh, wait, what? Uh, oh, dude, dude, we got the horn. Yeah. What a horn. We don't have a horn. We don't have the horn. Oh no, we don't have a horn. Wah, wah. Oh. You know the you know the club yeah, horn. Yeah, That's yeah, what I was yeah. looking for. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you can catch us every other Thursday. Just follow social media, or you can just look at Brother Degrees coming to you every every other week with hot topics, hot guests. And we always gonna be talking about something ignorant. Oh, yes, bring your drinks because we drink and we smoke. Don't tell us what you're smoking because that right. ain't our business. <laughs> and you don't need to know what's in my cup because this is my cup, Miss Couric. This is my, my cup. cup. <laughs> it doesn't matter what's in my cup. Yeah. All right. All right. I think we're good. Okay. Yep. Now we're back. So yeah, automaticity and negativity is, is something that I've been striving. With. Also, oh, I got, I got, a, I got our next commercial. When we go to the next commercial, I got another, um, I got another plug. <laughs> okay. Right. So yeah, that's what that's what I'm at. That's what I've been reading, listening to, and thinking about. Jeff. Okay. Is it, is that a moments of truth uh, commercial? No. Oh, okay. Cool. I mean, kind of, but not really. All right, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> the stuff that I've been reading, listening to, and thinking about. Listening is a lot of what I am I am doing at the moment. As far as music, Big Crit is my guy. Mm-hmm. So anything from Crit, I am a fan of. And then other stuff that I'm listening to outside. Well, no, inside of music, too. Anything that Rick Ross puts out, I'm listening to because it reminds me that like I need to there's another level of luxury that I need to get to. Mm -hmm. And he just keeps on telling me how broke I am Mm -hmm. and that I need to hustle harder. So Mm. I'm working on that. A lot of other things that I'm listening to is uh, T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes has like been speaking to my my spirit at this point in time. He's been speaking to my spirit at this point. And then a pastor out of Chicago named uh, Reginald Sharp. Okay. A young dude around uh, th- in his 30s, uh, graduated from Morehouse. Hell of a pastor. Mm-hmm. I really, really enjoy him. And then uh, one of my frat brothers, Michael Rowland, is a pastor. And every time he gets on the mic, I tune in for that as well. So those are the things that kind of like nurture my spirit in regards to like what I'm listening to. What I'm reading, like Brian said, it is the summer. I ain't reading shit right now. But I'm about to start I'm about to start like reading articles because Brian's making me do work. Um, for a report that we're doing, so I'm about to start reading articles. How this um, fool gonna sound making do what he getting paid? <laughs> yeah, 
Well, that's that's true. That's true. Um, that is. True. You ain't got to do it. There, there, is, there is a check. There, there is a check involved. Right. Okay. So, so yeah, I'm about I'm about to start reading articles, but I'm gonna give you some of the stuff that I read uh, last summer. The two books that stand out to me, and this is more updated. So Brian gave you a little bit more uh, historical reference, but mine is a little bit more updated. The Warrior Way, which is a book, book about. Uh, you read it. I, it's on my. I've okay. read. I've read the first seventy pages. There's so many right, books good. in my house that had the first seventy. Me pages too. Read. I have. I got all right. these books and like I got enough books like for Baldwin. Right. Um, right. And, and I'm trying to get through it. But mm-hmm. uh, the Warrior Way is about a young single mother raising a, a black boy that doesn't have any uh, male role models. So she creates like um, a mentorship rites of passage with her young boy, mm-hmm. and uh, she assigns him mentors that help him navigate through different aspects of life, Mm -hmm. which is a phenomenal book. And when you think about it, it's kind of, it might be like a blueprint for mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. young men that don't have mm-hmm. uh, a, a male influence in their lives, right? And then the, the thing that I think about the most is the amount of, of poverty that we have and how to get specific like areas boosted. You know what I'm saying? Right. So if anybody's listening, if y'all got $5 million, mm-hmm. I want to do a social experiment. A four and a half. Four and a half. Four and a half. Yeah, that's cool. I cut my feet. <laughs> but if y'all have if y'all have enough money, what I'd love to do is I would love to adopt and, and if somebody gonna steal this, but I need y'all to hire me if you steal it. But I would love to adopt like a targeted block in, in an impoverished neighborhood, right? So give me like the whole block and give everybody a universal basic income mm-hmm. of you know, $1,500. I did the math at 5 million mm-hmm. and we could do probably like 50 people with $1,500 a month, like 15 households, 50 households households with $1,500 a month, and then provide counseling services Mm -hmm. and financial services to those households, right? But not just like the financial services, the basic ones that they tell you, oh, save, this is what your income should be, as opposed to like your rent or whatever, which is all good things. But I want to take it a step further. How does my money make money? Because we don't really teach each other that, right? I'm still out here trying to learn and figure this out myself. Most of us are just trying to survive from paycheck to paycheck. Exactly. Even those of us who make are not living Me too. Right, exactly. But if we gave somebody an extra $1,500 and then we gave them some psychological counseling and mm-hmm. made the services available to everybody in the house mm-hmm. for a year. Mm-hmm. I wonder yeah. what that neighborhood would look like. That's what I've been thinking about. That's dope. You know, I'm an urban planner, African diaspora studies student. That's my, what all the work that I do kind of oh, so comes through So lens. you might have $5 million for me. No, but I know how to do the thing, you know. Okay. I got <laughs> and my and my favorite and my favorite <laughs> professor is a professor named Derek Hamilton, who was at the new school and the urban policy and management program. He briefly went to Ohio State to run their urban program, but came back to the new school. And he's Joe Biden's sort of like economic advisor, and mm-hmm. he's done a lot of studies on the baby bond. Like that's kind of his idea. Like you're born and there's this bond, treasury bond that comes along, mm-hmm. along with you as a baby, and about universal income and what that looks like and how that changes things for people and. And I think that there's something to be said about that. And, you know, in New York, in the Harlem Children's Zone attempted to do that. Right? But but I think all um, this is an experiment. Like, we got to figure it out till we get it right. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. I think there's lots of work that has been done to show that it proves that it works. Yeah, right. Yeah. The question that to me, I think the, the, the is the political will. Right. Mm-hmm. Like at this point, it's pretty clear just if you're looking at the workforce. Right. And what's happening, the 30% of people are not going back to work. Yeah. Like, regardless of the fact that their extra money's up on, you know, 27th of June, they're not going back because it's like going back to the dungeon, right? Like, I'm going back to live in this impoverished life, trying to figure out how to get my kids to and from school, blah, blah, blah. But I figured out how to live without it. I, right. So there's no need for me to go into bondage again. 
Right. right. Exactly. So right. So that I don't. I'm not going to do that. If anything, I can wait it out. I, right. I know how to manage now. It's and, right. and that's that's the crazy thing about the pandemic. The new skills that we've read. Re- right. Re- and I think I think those are the skills that poor folks have always had. Right. Poor folks have always been able to figure out how to make a dollar pop. Now, because they're in survival, it's hard to think about saving anything. Right. Yeah. You know, like my great grandmother and those folks understood that even if you just saved a dollar a day, even if you mm-hmm. just save five dollars a day. You were you were putting something somewhere, right? And a good you point know? is, what are we saving for? So, like, right. like we have to also understand that the dilemma is that we've created this lifestyle, and I, I heard some folks on different radio shows, and, and I've come to the point because I used to think like, if a person is in a very limited financial space, then they should not be trying to buy their kids Jordans or, or PS Five. Then I realized, like, wait a minute, why would that be true? Like, if this is the greatest reprieve you can give your child give it to them right yeah. because you may not be able to send your child to europe or your child might not or you might not be able to get that to your child but mm-hmm. what what also has to happen and i think jeff and, and christine you're both kind of alluding to this idea of like like helping people to understand their self-actualized position right right and so my journey may not be that i am the one who becomes able to live in a three-story house but if i can pro- provide for my child that they can tap into that yeah. right. then i'm changing the generation and 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 ellis coast wrote a book the uh, end of rage that looked at how two generations after ivy league african-americans had graduated their families had not changed their economic situation because they learned how to navigate and negotiate the system of capitalism in america but their children's children and their children's 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 did not Mm -hmm. so they were right back in the same spaces economically psychologically Mm -hmm. emotionally and physically but it's it's had a different what i've seen is like in my own family like they have a that has happened right like you know cousins and uncles have gone on from the 70s and gotten an ibm and worked in the management program Mm -hmm. became the first to go through corporate blah 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 right but then you look at their kids and they have this upper middle class experience growing up as children but they don't have that experience as an adult and it right. doesn't well, it doesn't match well, it doesn't, so, you know what I mean yeah. so I'm raising <laughs> it's, I'm raising children now and my children's experience is vastly different from like mine growing up mm-hmm. right like my children have everything that they could desire mm-hmm. and it's like how do you get them to to get that struggle gene <laughs> that we've acquired from you know without having to to go through like the impoverished circumstances so, like that I grew up I in. I don't think you have to go. It's not that. a struggle gene. Yeah. It's and well, and I'm, I'm just saying like the characteristic. I or think the, it's an identity. Ability to, ability to persevere. I think it's more like I, I think with those with children. Like I think about my own experience, right? You know, my dad worked for IBM forever. My mother worked for IBM. Growing up in New York, we, we lived a nice life. We had a pool in the backyard, all this stuff, right? And I think about the fact that my parents, like a. You know, we volunteer. We had to volunteer all the time. Like we were, we yeah. went to summer camp in the neighborhood. We did all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff because my parents were like, "You need to have balance." You know what I mean? And I think that I think that gave me an appreciation for like other people's situations. You know what I mean? Whether yeah. that like I was able to recognize that I have these privileges, mm-hmm. right? Everybody yeah. doesn't have these privileges, and it's not okay for me to just hoard my privilege. Right. Right? My parents did a great job of doing that by sending us to those summer camps by. Going to the farm in the summer and like, yo, we going to pick watermelon. You coming? It's hot so, as hell. Come. You know and look, I mean? and look, we working right? on that. We have them volunteering and doing stuff like yeah. that. So like, we're we're, we're and, working on that. And so, to me, that's the identity piece. And right. once again, a lot of my research and work has been around identity as African Americans and in the diaspora as well, and how that psychologically affects us. And so, what it comes back to is just that. When we take our kids out of spaces, and this is why, also, I, and I tell people all the time, I'm a huge proponent 
of supporting entities that do the work around blackness. So if you are a person of privilege in the African-American community, you no longer want to support St. Augustine High School, St. Captain Drexel, St. Mary's Academy, Xavier University, Dillard, Suno, and you think it's better. And I'm not saying you can't because I'm a graduate of Israel Newman. I'm not saying that you can't see your kids there. But if you believe that those institutions that are not historically black are not good enough for your child, that's where we're seeing that problem. Mm -hmm. And once again, that goes back to, yes, put your children in position that they know they Mima, Big Mama, Papa, Big Daddy. Because those are the people that keep them grounded. Mm -hmm. They need to know their cousins who don't have as much. And they need to know how to share with those cousins who don't have as much. They need to know what it's like to see somebody with less than. So they have Mm -hmm. to volunteer and give back. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what books like. I I mean, I take it to a very cellular level when I talk to parents. My mom used to run this G on me. And my brother is so serious. During the summers, y'all got to read. Carol in there with a book. Mm -hmm. I ain't never realized until I got older. She was always reading the same. I'm not old enough to catch that. So I'm thinking, I got to run with my mom. I'm reading these books, reading these books. Carol reading the same book. And I realized the game was, if she's reading, and I think it's cool for her, that I'm going to want to read. Mm -hmm. But she kept Mm -hmm. the game so G that I didn't realize you had the same book. So she wasn't reading nothing new. Are are you whispering that because your mom might hear? I want my mom to hear. Yeah, Mm -hmm. don't tell Mm -hmm. I said that. Look, we we do that too. Like I shut, we we shut everything down at points and I I put a timer on. All right, we got to read for this long today. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, so you get whatever book you want. And the dope thing is like, my kids get really excited when it's like, remember like back in the day where you used to have like the book fair at school Mm -hmm. and you had like a hot $10 Mm -hmm. in your pocket maybe. Mm -hmm. And you was big shit. Like you Mm -hmm. could just, mm, Books. Give right. me all of them. That. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> right, right. But, but and some right. pencils and stickers. But, oh but, that's, but that's how they are right. when they when they when they, when, they, when it's time to like pick out books. So I really really love. And that. the books need to be about black people. <laughs> well, you know we try fuck to, white supremacy, hey, fuck white privilege. Hey, I don't do any of those books. Anymore. I talk I to either. I talk to my no children more call about, the wild. about black shit all the time. We was watching Patton. fuck Lord of the Flies. We was watching Paddington. <laughs> And I was like, yo, I said, Patton is black. He is. We're watching Patton. He went to jail. He went to jail. And he broke out. Paddington got locked up unjustly because some white people said he did some shit. They ain't do. And they ain't even do. And then look, and then look, wait, wait. And then when Paddington left the motherfucking neighborhood, everybody saw how dope Paddington made the neighborhood. Talking about, we down for you. We down for you. What they did was wrong. No, you knew it was wrong. Y'all let them take me. Y'all should have rose up. Somebody should have hit Paddington. On episode one of this podcast, uh, we had poet Kelly Harris DeBerry, and Kelly talked about the hustle that she did for reading, right? Which is like kind of what I think gets to your point about how we keep black men engaged in college, right? Mm. It's like you got to spoon feed them. You got to give them a little something, right? So Kelly talked about how she grew up uh, and we both from we both from Cleveland. She grew up in this place called East Cleveland, which was kind of like New Orleans East. It was a suburb back mm-hmm. in the day. It is still considered a suburb, but it has seen rapid decline yeah. for the majority of the it's last smaller, 20, 30 years. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's smaller than New Orleans East, so it doesn't have as many like beautiful houses on the, you know, in other parts, it just doesn't have it. It still has those houses, but they've decayed, right? And so Kelly talked about those who lived on the hill lived in the bigger houses. Kelly lived on the hill. But she was like, yo, we had siblings and, you know, we didn't have no money. So they had this hustle at school. You read these books, you earn a free pizza. She was like, yo, this is going to be Friday night dinner. I'm going to contribute to my family by bringing home this pizza on Friday by reading enough books. And it just, you talking about like the incentive of reading the hustle your mother ran or what you're doing with your kids, mm-hmm. like, 
this is really how we get young people engaged in things they don't otherwise they wouldn't otherwise. You got a bad Hold on, hold on, wait. Can I tell? Can I tell you, know you the mean? other hustle that I'm running on my kids? What? You ready? Yeah. This is a good one. I want all parents to do this when they. So you know, old enough, you get birthday money and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're they're cognizant of like how much money they get, and they're like, oh, I could buy all this stuff. But they don't really have a bank account yet, right? And like, where are they where are they gonna put the money? And right. I was like, okay, look, if you put this thing in the bank of daddy uh-huh. and don't touch it, uh-huh. I'm gonna put more money in here every month. Okay, every month. Uh-huh. And it's called interest. And I, and that's what I was explaining to him. I said, yo, that's called interest. Uh-huh. If you don't touch it, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna keep putting money in here. Right. But the minute you spend it, uh-huh. I'm gonna stop. Wow. And like, I think they realized like, and they would call, like, they would do, I, I was the ATM. They'd be like, how much money we got? And I'm like, all right, you got this much money. How much money you put in there? Well, I put $60 a piece in each of y'all's, you know, it's been a few months. Mm-hmm. And they and they, they got to like, I don't know, like six months maybe. Mm-hmm. And I kept on putting money in there. Mm-hmm. Man, they was rich by the time they, they got to touch it. But that was the hustle that I'm running on them right, now. Right. And they could see it grow. Mm-hmm. Now, my interest rate was way better than the bank. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, like, that's something that, like, I'm trying to lay that foundation. Just like reading is financial literacy, right? Mm-hmm. I want them to know how, how to use money and the value of it and how how it how it can make money off of itself. Because quiet as it's kept, when I need cash, you I, going be, there, I be having, because I don't carry cash, so I got to go. I got to use the bank's money. I got to use the bank's money. To take care of the community. Right. And because I've loaned your money out, I have to pay your interest on it. Yeah. Right, just like the bank. So, so but, but I, I'll say something that's interesting, though, and this is, this is the, once again, that automaticity, the negativity. Black and brown kids are automatically drawn to excellence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes we think that they don't want to do these things. But think about what happens when mom and dad take an interest in saving money and being positive and reading. Those kids will be drawn to it because the people they adore the most are doing it. And so I think that's the pushback sometimes when I hear that. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. If my daughter sees me in the community and and Sunday at church took on stage with me um, for the graduation appreciation thing, and she says to me in a car at three years old, going home, Daddy, I like being on the stage. Mm-hmm. Right. It's right. about exposure at the end of the right. day, right? Right. It's and, about exposure. And so you know? that's why it becomes important to think about like Jeff's idea and idea around urban planning and the diaspora is mm-hmm. when we think about it, that automaticity and negativity is a part of what Dr. Akbar calls the alien self-identity disorder. Right. Is that we've become so out of tune with what we should be in tune with that we think it's okay to hold on this is my teacher and me say that again one more time so everybody can write that down so the automaticity negativity says that we've become Mm -hmm. so drawn to the alien part say that bitch if you stop me one more time from talking nigga get to the aliens I'm trying (laughs) I'm trying to get you to the aliens (laughs) so the automaticity of negativity leads us to think that we we're not supposed to like those things, and that's the the alien self identity disorder, right? Look Which that says up. that basically we're doing things outside of who we should truly be. Right. So when you think about it, Africa gave the world science and history and medicine and the original so, man. So yeah, in case some of yeah. y'all don't argue with me again about where the original man came from. The original man came from right. The even even of Professor Leakey understands <laughs> where Lucy was found. Right. So so we understand, but and so that's why I tell parents like like you gotta. Understand understand that your child is looking for models of excellence 
Right. And if that model of excellence is a nigga on the corner selling dope, then that's, that's what, what they're they going to do. Because they're going to be like, wait a minute. Right. He got the money. He getting the girls. Right. Fine. And then for young ladies, and I'm being heterocentric when I say this, if their model of excellence of a man is just a guy who can put out some money, that's what they're going to seek. And they're right. going to forget their own excellence. And so that's why like, I think it's dope that when we push this idea, like, yeah, what are we putting out there for our community? And that's coming to a point of why we're here. Is that's what Brother Degrees is about. Yeah. It's to change that narrative. So I know we didn't throw y'all. So I don't know if no, we're no, no, we no, just no, running, no, but no, 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 I no, said we me off. I think I think no, I don't think you have. I think this actually gets around to the next point, right? So this is really about exposure to the things and the opportunities that we want young people to be able to see and seek, right? And sometimes that requires a carrot. To get mm-hmm. them to pay attention yes. because yes. nobody, mm-hmm. they, nobody they know, nobody they've seen has ever done any of those things, or yeah. they've heard negative things about that, right? Yeah. So, like right. my work in education, one of the things we know about black men is they certainly do teach, they certainly can teach, and they certainly want to teach, right? Mm-hmm. But they've been exposed to so many negative yeah, experiences, yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? That they're like, "You got to be kidding me! You think I'm gonna go in there and deal with that?" And then yeah. they hear all the time about how the kids are so bad, right? And the kids are no worse or better than they've ever been, right? Yo, but they're I, not that bad when you like. Like when you really like think about it, they're just never, trying to punk you to see yeah. you, if you're gonna stand or fall. It ain't, it ain't no different than if you had Best Buy right. and Karen comes in there and is mad at you because you don't have whatever electronics she wants. Right. right, right. Can I say something about the carrot real quick? Yeah. And like the, the, the visual. I went to college and I am, you know, on my mom's side of the fam, which is the side that I grew up with the whole time. I'm the only person in the family with a college degree, uh, let alone a doctorate degree, right? So at any point in time, I could have did, and I, I went to college to play basketball, didn't work out, got hurt, all that stuff, decided to stay in because this was where the women were. And I was like, yo, I'm going to see what this, what they talking about. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't to go to school. Yeah. Like it wasn't, it wasn't to go to school at all. Right. But when I think about it and my niece just graduated high school, mm-hmm. she's the fourth person in the family to actually graduate high school. The whole family, four, is me, my sister, my mom, and her. And I got brothers and all that stuff didn't graduate. So when I get to the school and, you know, I'm my identity as like a basketball player has been foiled, now I have to develop a new identity and that's a college student. But I'm going to be honest, I don't know nobody that's cool that went to college, for real, right. for real. At so, that time you didn't? Nah, at that, no, at that time I didn't. Because not everybody I know went to college cool. I know, but but that's but it's the expansion of your circle, right? Uh-huh. right? So like it's what I was exposed to being a young man growing up in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only people that went to college, like they played basketball or football or a sport. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But once I came to class and I realized like a guy gave me a job because I was going to leave because there was no pressure on me to stay because I had made it farther than anybody has ever got right. in right. my whole entire family. Right. So I, so if I if I did Yeah, if I did like five right. classes and left, ain't nobody gonna say nothing. They're gonna right. be like, all right, well at least he went. Right. You know? But this dude gave me a job. Um and he was he was one of the coolest dudes I knew with an education. But this is when like you could actually like kick it with the students. You mm-hmm. can't you can't kick it with students now. Mm-hmm. But like this is like when he was when I'm going over to his house sitting in the garage, mm-hmm. seeing how he interacts with his family mm-hmm. and like drinking. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, this like this dude got a degree and he be doing all this hood shit. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I, I wanna do. I wanna do hood oh, rat shit, shit with my friends <laughs> while I have a degree. Right, right. <laughs> That's right. what I wanna do. And that was my but that and I know it wasn't like the exemplary standard of an example but that was the example that i got 
Right. And I was like, yo, I'm going to finish. But, and he always held me accountable. Like, when I was going to revert back to doing stupid shit. Yeah. He was I like, nah, bro. I thought of things but, being so excellently packaged. Yeah. The shit doesn't have to be excellently packaged. He was like, take packaged. your ass it to class. But look, but look, the right? reality is that... Is and, and I like how you put it in terms of doing hood shit, but the reality is that that's actually what, that's what he was doing. He still do that shit now. It's one of, it's one of my real good friends now but, to this day. But actually, the inverse of that is that that's actually why we're supposed to go to school and work right. because it's a whole lot more fun now to sit back and be able to drink and smoke and chill and not have to stress because we got a few coins, right? Yeah, right. it's it's great but, to do hood rat shit with money. But that goes back to <laughs> instilling that excellence because I still laugh at how. You know, coming up in New Orleans, I had so many partners who wanted to get like expensive cars and have all this crazy, stupid stuff at 19 and 20. I was like, but but if you do that now and you're getting it fast and you're going to die, what you going to have in your old? Well, you're not going to be here because you're dead. And so now I think about it at 43. Man, look, I love my life, dog. Like, I love what Xavier does for me. I work literally on average about 25 hours a week. Yo, every time I call Brian and like, I, I hate this shit, too, because Brian will call me like during the hours of nine to five and he'll be like, well, what you doing? Motherfucker, I'm working. What are you doing? I just woke up like 10 minutes ago. What? Yeah, man. He's like, I'm about to go uh, go to the gym, maybe. I'm going to go. Maybe I might take a nap. I don't know. I might cut the grass. Right. You know, I, the, the world's my oyster at this point. Right. Well, what time do you go to class? The living vacation. What, what time do you got to do class? Uh, like three o'clock. So your first thing that you do professionally is at three o'clock in the afternoon? Yeah. And I don't even I don't even teach class when on you Fridays. Done. Four. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, so you start at three and you're not four? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but, so but everybody should part. go be a college professor if you're listening or to Or an this. entrepreneur so you can yeah. have a flexible life. But, nah, and, that and, seems and, more stressful. Being a college professor. It has its moments. I just want you to well, the stress part of being a professor came about 10, 15 years ago. But right. but to Jeff's point, though, and, and Christina, I think that's sailing. one of those things about where we are is that, like, if we have our kids, our young people thinking that you got to get all this at 18 and 19, mm -hmm. at 17, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, like once again, I don't degrade anybody, but I think there's some levels to it. If well, we're you can, in a median society. It's a mi this is microwave culture, yeah, man. Like, yeah. You pull up, get fast food. And that's right. Well. You know what so, I'm saying? So, yeah, like, I mean, I remember I didn't get my tattoo until I was 40. I didn't get my ears pierced until I was 27 because my mom said, those are got things you do. my first tattoo at 33 on a bet. <laughs> He's trying to get me to get a tattoo now. But I, got I lost a bet at 21 got, that I had to fulfill at 33. I got commitment yeah. issues. So I, got so I don't know if I But the thing is, like, 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 those are the things that, to me, it's not about delaying our young people from doing things about when are they at the best position to make those decisions right. right you know so so i think when we think about it like that's another part of like that pot that automaticity the negativity kids say oh you don't want me to grow up no i do but parents fall prey to that pressure well i'm gonna let you go and do this thing like i'm just sorry like i, I mean i'm a joke about this from football was the only people who should be wearing mohawks as men are athletes and little boys. If you don't, if you're not an athlete, you're not a little kid. Why are you wearing a mohawk? I'm not saying you can't, but I just ask a question because if you're stylist or if you're a tattoo artist, if you a barber, if you your fashion is based upon your parents, fine. I was about to get a mohawk last week. Moving along, go ahead, Christine. That some bitch. Oh, well, you know, a lot of times when you walk through the door, the, my father used to, or my father used to say, you could walk through the door, you know, and be the box, right? Uh -huh. and when you get in there, shave your head, color it blue, right? These days, you can do all of those 
those things, which is good, honestly. Yeah. I think it's great that we can have more individuality. There's lots of things that were in there that were jewels. But to get back to this exposure piece, you know, one of the things I talked about is that on your show, you all tackle some like emotional issues that we're dealing with as black people, right? Yeah. And one of the things that you all have tackled is like relationship building between the various genders and particularly in, within the black family dynamic, right? Yeah. And I want to talk about exposure as it relates to our mental health because I think that we... Um, yeah, you said that was going to happen too and I ain't even believe I you. think that we have... Um, we're at an interesting point in time, right? Where people are sort of more willing to deal with their mental health or mm -hmm. think about mental health or how being black in America is affecting you. So shout out to Red Lips Little Black Dress, which is doing some great things for black women. But I wanted to talk to you about like your interest in these topics and why you felt like, okay, we need to create this platform and have these conversations and just, you know, it feels like a very organic yeah. place where people can be honest and authentic and such. I mean, I mean that's the thing that we, we strive to create. Really, it's um, two men on the screen bearing, like, their truth and souls. You know what I'm saying? And, like, I was messing with Brian uh, before, and I don't know if y'all caught it or not, but I, we, we was arguing, and I was like, but I love you, though. Mm -hmm. and, and he was like, I love you, too. <laughs> and I was like, he begrudgingly said it, by the way. But we're in a space, like, this is, like, literally how we are. And when we created the space for Brothers with Degrees, one, it happened during the pandemic when we had to social distance and couldn't be around one another, right? So we tried to find a way to recreate the I'm at the house in the having a barbecue sitting around drinking beer or drinking liquor and talking about the things that we talk about and we want to kind of like dispel the myth that that you know black men are monoliths like we're we're deep we're we're intersectional we have we're, we're like, vulnerable we're, we're like we're like Shrek mm -hmm. we have we, we're like an onion. We have layers. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, 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 so we're so we're all of these things. And honestly, like when we get to and the media portrays our conversations in like movies, television, hip hop, all this stuff as one way where we're just talking about you Two know things, fighting, fighting and, and fucking, and, yeah, right. fight, fighting, fighting, and fighting and fucking, and both and both are aggressive and frowned upon by the establishment. You know what I'm saying? But right. we wanted to we want to kind of depict our conversation because it's a real conversations that we have about life, love, vulnerability, the future and, and the weight of a generation and a community because Brian and I both take on the weight of the community trying to strive to move it forward. Right. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to kind of like pull back the, the curtain on that so people could see the authentic conversations that two black men with doctorate degrees have because, you know, like most people don't know that, you know, we, we curse and all that stuff. Well, they wouldn't know that Brian does. He'd be wearing ties and shit to work. Bow ties. You know what I'm saying? So the other part of that is, so Jeff and I met in 2008 in Pensacola when I was at University of West Florida and he was finishing up his graduate, his master's. Yeah. And through that friend, shout out to Rito, what happened was I touched down outside into Pensacola. I was the first black man in the Division of Student Affairs at, at UWF, I think in at least 20 to 30 years, if ever, before another brother came along and he became the Vice President of Student Affairs. But the reality was like, we realized like, black men don't usually make new friends after about 25. Mm -hmm. No, that's a wrap. Right? Mm -hmm. So once we hit 25, it's kind of like, all right, we together I'm good. now. Nah, nah, it's like, nah, I'm good, bro. I don't need no new friends. But what happened was there were issues on campus that kind of brought us together. And really the outgrowth of that was um, a conference that we started called the Men of Color Retreat and Conference. And 
really we forge this working relationship that then because of how much time you spend with each other, it becomes personal. Mm. And so the garage is at Kismet, then me doing crawfish or barbecuing at my house, and then then Jeff's birthday party. Sunday suppers at mine. Uh Mm -hmm. Or Saturday pancake breakfast, you know, whatever it might be. So we started to have these more intimate, personal interactions. And when I moved back home, Jeff moved to South Florida. Another one of our partners moved to Mississippi. And and then Kismet moved to uh, North Carolina. We all kind of was distant. And so we're talking like, yo, we're we're missing this. We're missing this space where we can be ourselves and have Mm -hmm. these conversations. And as Jeff was saying, another part of it was that when society views us as only having these two conversations around fighting and fucking, and they're very aggressive, and they negate the intimacy, right, and the love and the closeness that can actually occur, then it leaves us void, right, Mm -hmm. of that space. And then as you alluded to, Christine, a lot of it also just centers itself around gendered conversations, non-committal sexual identity conversations as we aspire to have people from different walks on the show to have those conversations. So we was like, we got to have these conversations. And if it's just you and I, fine. But when we can find guests and others to come on, that would be great too. And so we forged ahead with trying to have these conversations. So it spans the topics of politics and sexual identity and and gender issues, education, health issues, faith. We're we're trying to get our our run of uh, faith leaders from Islamic faith to to Christianity in terms of Catholicism or Baptist or non-denominational but the point was that we as black men have these conversations and so often they're just not made known to the public and oftentimes brothers are afraid to have those conversations in public because of fear of whatever that could come from them so Jeff and I was like well look bro we ain't doing nothing else during this pandemic and and so we we, we started with it and, and it's moving along and the aspirations are as big as it can be but yeah. the reality is we just want to be able to give brothers and sisters a space to come and have this conversation it's it's very much non-judgmental you can say how you feel as long as you're not offensive you can speak your mind and be real but you know we we just don't offend each other like like that's Mm -hmm. the only rule like we're Mm -hmm. not going to offend anybody you're not going to degrade nobody on any level you can speak and say what you think what you feel believe but as long as you're not personally attacking someone and then lastly the whole point of was also to have fun you know, that's the other part that's of That's why we drink. Yeah, yeah. I have, I have to tell you, I love the I love the show. You know, at first I was like, what is this? And then I watched it and I was like, because you know, my fear, to be frank, is like I've been working in the space with black men for a long time now, for like se- last six mm-hmm. or seven years. Invariably, at some point, there becomes a peace when I feel the sort of like oppression of my own identity from the conversations mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. have. And I'm like, yo, bros, we got to make some more space for there to be a diasporatic approach to who black men are, right? Black men are straight, black men are gay, black men are bisexual, black men are Christians, black men are Buddhists, black men are Catholics, black men are Jews, right? Like Black men are atheists. Are atheists, right? You know, black men are vegan. Some, you know, like we're all these things, right? And like, we have to make space for black men to feel like they can have these conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think about, and I really appreciate y'all because I see y'all pushing the envelope on some of these sometimes very binary conversations mm-hmm. that we have where you're questioning people like, or so you were saying to me, like a bisexual person couldn't be faithful, couldn't be monogamous. You know, you ask all these questions mm-hmm. and you're forcing people to think, right? Which I also appreciate because it reminds me of the cipher that we do at Brothers in Power to Teach, where we just basically drop question bombs in the room and yeah. say, that's the, so that's you the guys just saw how you... That's the that, teachers in us. That's the teachers yeah. in all of us, right? Yeah. And like, I think it just brings up how important it is for us to think of the different ways we teach yeah. Yeah. and we can reach the people in our community. I think at the core, like we're bridge builders. Yeah. That's what we are. like, And that's what I, I fashion myself as. Yeah. I don't think I'm, I'm... Sometimes I'm not the smartest person in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. 
but I can understand what they're saying. Yeah. yeah and yeah, I think yeah. about the people that don't even get access to the room uh-huh. with all the folks making the decisions or the, are experiencing these like intelligent and high level conversations. Right. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I can do is I can understand interpret and then i can bring it back to my people yeah yep i think that this is what this podcast is about so yeah. for everybody who's listening this is episode three of uh, the get in the cypher podcast and today's podcast is named after one of my favorite slick rick songs uh hey young world instead of hey young world it's hey young man because uh-huh. we are talking to these two amazing brilliant black men who've come to visit me today and i appreciate that and i want to end two ways i'm going to tell you guys what i'm reading listening to and thinking cool. and then i'm going to ask you all to tell me your if you could look a young black man who's getting ready to graduate college tomorrow one piece of advice i want you to give me one sentence what you would say to just them one on there. just briefly how about this i'll say 15 <laughs> seconds on you know what i just you did this say. a few weeks ago okay um so i am reading a bunch of things my cousin david who i love immensely started reading upon his divorce and so he encouraged me to read so we're reading together so i just finished reading the vanishing uh, half which was great so i'm reading fiction and nonfiction at the same time i've decided that that's the way that reading works mm-hmm. best for me because mm-hmm. i've stopped reading for a long unlike y'all for a long time as much as I was a voracious reader I was like ah, I'm not I just can't and so right now I'm reading this book about black performance in America told through the, the eyes of a young man who grew up black and Muslim mm-hmm. the book opens up telling the story about how he had to learn how to dance in the basement to rap city and you know TV raps because his parents had banned him from listening to rap music wow he's a great writer it's written in prose it's a, okay. it's, a it's called The Little Devil and then fiction wise I just started opening The, the Water Dancer by Tahanisi Coates which has been on my show for a while so i'm reading that listening wise y'all know i'm a i'm a big hip-hop head so yes i am listening to the same things i've been listening to since i was 19 right mm-hmm. it just you it know, just don't hit the it, same it doesn't hit now, the same huh? so outcast you know was yeah. on permanent rotation i have always liked anything from the native tongue so if you don't know who those are that's tribe called quest de la soul etc new wise though i am really into freddie gibbs who's from Gary, Indiana. Yo, I like Gibbs too. <laughs> I love him. I like Gibbs is nice. There's, there's this whole generation of hip hop artists right now who are like creatives. They create visually with when you listen to them, and you, they create visually with what you see in their yeah. videos and such. Freddie Gibbs uses all these dope like old jazz standards, B sides of R and B. You know, them soul samples are phenomenal. yeah, the soul font samples are phenomenal. The titles of his songs are actually poems. Like so, he's got one song called "God Is Perfect," and it's a statement in itself. Like that's you know, and then the songs just opposed to it. And then the other folks I'm listening to are come out of Buffalo, New York, which I never Griselda? thought I'd say. Yes, I yeah. never thought I'd say I listen to rap from Buffalo, but Griselda. And you know Benny the Butcher. I like Benny. Like, yeah, I can't get Benny. into Conway and uh, West Side. Yeah, I like Benny's my favorite, but I, I like, I like West Side. And then last, Currency has a great album out right now with this sure. dude Harry Harry Fraud. I love that. I love that. People would say that that's smokers rap, so I guess that's if you're listening to that's what that's considered. But I just like the things that like I can contemplate as I listen to, it. and also by my little head. Things that I'm thinking about. City council. Mm. I'm thinking about the city council race. And in a larger context, I'm thinking about like the fact that essentially this pandemic is another disaster in New Orleans, right? And here we are at the precipice of what's going to be the response post-disaster. And we can go left or get, go right. And though I got to New Orleans, started working in New Orleans on and off in 2008. So it was kind of at the end of the first wave of people who were coming from out of town to like do whatever they hoped they were going to do. I see a different moment 
And the moment I see is that both New Orleanians who are like, where are you people coming from who are outside and doing these things without talking to us and doing all these things and people who moved here from elsewhere who heard that and adjusted how they live, work, and interact mm-hmm. in the world are like coming together. I can see it. Like I can hear my New Orleans friends who are like, yo, we got to stop this thing where like, yo, you ain't from here, blah, blah. And thinking that just because you're from New Orleans, you're for New Orleans. There's a lot of people who have jobs and do things in New Orleans who are from New Orleans who are not for New Orleans. And we have to stop using that as an excuse. Right? You know what I mean? We and like, On the other side, you know, I think there are people, you know, and I don't want to, maybe I'm tooting my own little horn, but I I think there's a lot of people like me who are from someplace else who have made New Orleans home. We're not yeah. going nowhere. We're going to be here. We respect the culture and we don't want to see it go and die either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think about that all the time. And so I spend my free time figuring out where the bridge is so I can be on the bridge to help. Yeah. On that note, why don't y'all give me 15 seconds of advice you give a young black man coming on out of college right now? I tell every young black man that's coming out of college, if they have a dream, now is the time to go do it. Word. With money, without money, now is the time to just go and try. And my rationale is, is you ain't had no money during college. You've been living like a broke college student this whole time. Why not spend a few more years after college Mm -hmm. to figure out your dream and see if you can make it? Don't just get a job just to get a job to say you have one outside of college. Figure out your dream. Go do it. We've already taught you. Like you've learned, you've learned what you needed to learn here. Move on. Go do a dream. That's dope, Doctor Turner. The biggest thing I tell young men, and, and I can even say young women too, because I hold court in office on campus. You never go wrong if you do right. I think too many of our young people, as I would say, the young man is, you get caught up with trying to figure out what you should be doing. When you, you know what right is, and if you're not sure, ask somebody you trust. And so what I would say is, do right, and you don't have to worry about the other stuff. You know because. As a young black man in America, there's so many things that are going to be ascribed to you that are just wrong that you can't fight it all off. Mm-hmm. So if you're just doing right, you, you handle your business, you do what's right, you do what's right. And so so I just come back to the point that as it was actually told to me as well, do right. So thank you, Dr. Turner, for that. And I, you know, I'm going to say something because my dad would, you all remind me of what my dad would give me advice to do. So my father, when I decided to become an entrepreneur, because, you know, I told my dad worked for IBM for like mm-hmm. ever. And I never knew that he hated that job until after he retired and was like, I freaking hated that job. And we were talking about the difficulty of being an entrepreneur. And like, I was like, Pop, you know, maybe I should just go get a job. And he was like, listen, you're not supposed to be here anyway, so you might as well just do it. And I was like, what does that mean? He's Mm. like, they don't expect you, black girl, black Mm. woman, to be here doing anything that looks like a dream, right? You're doing it. They don't expect you to be here, so just do it, you know? And that, that is the advice that I stick to when I think about, you know, the dream, right? Yeah. Like, you only have one life as far as we know. You can always, I tell people, this, my advice to them is always, you can always go get a job, That's, right? You can always go get a job, right? So. Now, look, I'm right? going to tell you, I give out fire advice, but sometimes it's hard for me to take my own advice. Yeah. Because it's scary. Mm-hmm. Like, jumping is scary. Jumping is definitely you scary. You know what I'm saying? It's really scary. Like, when you, but I was talking to, I was talking to some older men when I was back home and they were talking about like the dope thing about like having these conversations with other men that have like experienced life and have gone through something like you go through like the whole like gambit 
of topics. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you talk about like relationships, you talk about fussing and fighting, just like any other, like Brian said earlier, right? And then you talk about like career, you talk about opportunities, you talk about politics. But then like when you get really deep into these conversations, it always goes back to faith. And the dude told me, he said, look, he said, can you have faith in God if you don't trust God? <laughs> Word. Somebody and, told me the other day something that faith is b built most in uncertainty. So right. if you're not willing to be uncertain, mm -hmm. then you don't have. Then you can't. Then, have then faith. do you really have faith? Mm -hmm. So if you're not willing to, yeah. if you're not willing to do the thing that makes you a little scared, do you really have? Do you, it's like your faith is being tested now. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. so, you got to rise to the occasion. But, yes, indeed. Just <laughs> as a side, thank you for allowing me that. Um, when ADT calls, you step out. And yeah, for sure. On. To the point about doing right, and I, I love that play with faith because that's the reality of doing right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have faith that doing right will get you where you want to be, mm -hmm. and all too often, I think that's exactly where I try to tell young men. If you're doing right, you ain't got to worry about where you're going because mm -hmm. you're going to be doing right. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get there. So so that was conclude my point. But I really like that interjection. I'm, I'm sorry to interlude and, and hearing that because that plays right into the idea of like just going back to as I said, as I was told growing up, do right. I have my Uncle Hick, my elders, my mentors always just played that same song. Do right, Brian. Just do right. Mm -hmm. and, and I never had to worry about it because mm -hmm. I was always doing right. Awesome. Thank yeah. you all. I also wanted to just interject when you're this thing, you're all talking about faith. One of the things that I started doing during the pandemic was listening to my home church, of course, but listening to churches in other places. Mm -hmm. And a person that I think is this whole thing about disrupting what has happened before and during the pandemic and where we're going now is there's a pastor in uh, Chicago, Otis Moss III, who runs Trinity United Church of Christ, where mm -hmm. Jeremiah Wright was the, is mm -hmm. the pa pastor emeritus. And he is pushing all of us on what faith means. Mm -hmm. And he's also pushing all of us on like, are you really a Christian if you don't recognize that Jesus was a rebel who pushed over the table and would mm -hmm. look at you like you were crazy if you didn't? Hey, Jeff, which Jesus right. we hang with? Right. I hang with all of them. Yeah. No, well, no, we hung with the Jesus that hung with sinners and cheats. With the, with the right. prostitutes. And, and the right. prostitutes. We ain't, we ain't hang with the Jesus right. that people want to What did Jesus say? So. Jesus said love, period. Well, if you're right. trying try, 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 try to say you can only love people if they're heterosexual, you can only love people if they're blah, blah, blah. So I appreciate that we're in this disruptive time where we have brothers like y'all doing the show you're doing pushing us to think about how we're thinking yeah. about things i love that you all question some of the things that we're doing because i told you i texted you the other day about how like why is everybody so fucking mad right and we were talking about you know kevin samuels and all that kind of stuff which we do not have to dive <laughs> in today but i appreciate there being another perspective yeah. right that yeah. like yo we can function in love we can function yeah. in understanding yeah. we just need to have the space to do so yeah so the point is i'm gonna go back to what you just said I'm just put it put it like because i love you brought it up because i'm gonna it, have to say something now too okay, well, well but it goes back no like when you say why we're angry out of here in the next five minutes because somebody's got a podcast it's like you said it's like you said the, <laughs> we're angry it's it's because even our sisters have been pushed to the brink of fighting and fucking and those and two are safe. inherently right. aggressive acts right mm -hmm. and so when we're so mad and angry and we can't access the other emotions and in spaces that we can operate in that everything seems like a fight mm -hmm. or fucking right and right. that's 50 50 percent chance of one of them being bad right and, and the truth is we don't none of us feel safe like right. we don't feel safe y'all don't feel some of y'all don't feel right. safe with us and we certainly don't feel safe with y'all yeah. right and so therefore <coughs> we're in this difficult right. space right. right can i interject with this this is not a poem but it's a lyric okay and i one of the things i do in class and a, a critical thinking exercise i write like a 
a poem, uh, not a poem, but like a, a quote or a rap lyric that is open to interpretation to start to start my students like being able to think critically right mm-hmm. i need to i need to get the juices warmed up you mm-hmm. know before we before we get into this thing one of the things i love big crit and to your point brian he says some greens just can't be clean and you can't wash out the taste of rotten roots salted looks and herbs if it ain't made with love then it ain't fit to serve i heard some get bruised and battered thrown away half eaten as if they see never even mattered if it ain't ripe it ain't right that's why most people don't make love no more they just fucking they fight wow Word. And on that note, Word. let me just say thank you again for tuning in to episode three. <coughs> hey, young man. Today. Man, love the iPad Jeezy. Thank you. I'm mad producer thank over here, DJ Nissa. Thank you for having us, Brothers with Degrees. Brian Turner, Jeff Benjamin. Whenever we can come back, we would love to. Oh, we definitely love, will have you back. Love. We will definitely have you back on the podcast. This is episode three. Hey, young man of the Getting the Cipher podcast with Dr. Jeff Benjamin and Dr. Brian Turner. Goodbye. Good night. Salud. Peace.